All right, Proverbs chapter 18, and we're going to read verse 24 as our text. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly, and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Again, a man that hath friends must show himself friendly, and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Heavenly Father, we do pray for your leadership today and through the entire meeting. We pray, Lord, that you'll revive the hearts of of everyone who's here. Uh, We pray, Lord, that you'll bring unsaved people unto this church and under the gospel, and that some of them will be saved. And we pray, Lord, your spirit would take over Mike Pelletier, that I would preach under your control and not in my own strength, in my own wisdom. Father, fix everything in me that's not right so that I can be the best, most unique, uh, uh, the best tool in your hands I can possibly be. Take my mind, take my heart, take my will, any way you want it to go for the good of people this week. And uh, pray, Lord, for this message today to give us a good start. There's so much at stake. There's so many people that have been, been cooled down by the world There's so many churches that need reviving, and there's so much good that you are doing. But we all know that there's a great need for revival in our country. It has to start with us. Fix our thinking. Fix our hearts. Redirect our wills. Create in us what needs to be created, and just make us what we need to be. Revive us and equip us for these days that we are living And uh, Lord, so many needs in our country, and so Lord, we just pray that you'll begin a good reviving here, other churches as well, but especially here. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you, and you can be seated. The verse starts off by saying, a man that hath friends must show himself friendly. In other words, if you want to have a friend, you've got to be a friend. And sometimes when I would preach to teen camps or junior camps, I would find young people that don't seem to have very many friends, and I'll tell them, if you want to have a friend, find somebody else who doesn't seem to have a friend, and you be their friend. And as you are kind to them, eventually you'll get a friend back from the one that you became a friend to. So if you want to have a friend, you've got to be a friend. And then a lot of times in churches, there are people in churches that feel like nobody at the church even notices them or cares about them. And that's true too. If you come to church and you feel like you don't have friends, even at this church, find somebody else who seems to not have a good friend. And you be their friend and you will get a friend. So every part of this verse is true. If you want to have a friend, you've got to be a friend. But that's not what I'm preaching on. I want to preach on the second part. It says, there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Now, who do you think is that friend that we would be preaching about today that sticks closer than a brother? It would be Jesus Christ. Now, a lot of times people will say, God loves you. God is who you need. You need God in your life. And We know that we say these things, but 
I just want to look at some simple things to get our thinking straight on this issue that God really is who you need. God really is the one that you need more than anybody else in your life and that God truly is your best friend, not just a friend, but your best friend. And even you men, you might be big, burly, and almost even as strong as me. I doubt it. But in spite of how big and rough and tough you might be and manly you might be, there needs to be an intimate friendship with the Lord Jesus, even as men, not just women. I was talking to a pastor just last week in Delaware, and I said, what is the greatest need that you think you've got in your church? And very quickly, and a very good articulation, he said, male involvement. I said, what do you mean? He says, well, we get the women that are involved, and the women that are excited about the Lord, and they read their Bibles, but the men don't read their Bibles sometimes, and the men don't get involved in the ministry of the work, and the men don't seem to have that passion for God. Now, it's not like that with every one of us, but what I am saying is that every one of us, men, women, young adults, preachers like me, We all need to understand this reality is that God truly is our best friend. Now, as we look at this, I'm going to give us a statement, and we'll spend the bulk of our time on the statement. Then I'm going to give you a question, and then we'll end with a challenge just to start the revival meeting. So here is point number one. The statement that I'm giving today is that God is your best friend, your best friend our best friend. Now, there are three reasons that we would say that. Number one, because he made you. Genesis 1 says that God said, let us make man in our image, in the image of God, created he him, male and female created them and called their name Adam. Now, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, it says that God created man, Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, there are two theories to where people came from and all the world, and most of us are familiar with them. One is evolution, two is creationism. Evolution is supposedly the scientific approach. Creation is the one that all the dumb religious people take, is what the scientists say, and is what the college professors say. Now, I look at this, and I think, in my opinion, and I'm not trying to be unkind or disrespectful, But evolution is the part that all of the ridiculous people take, and the people that think logically would take the approach of God. Now, why would I say that evolution is kind of a ridiculous thing? The reason that they came up with the idea of saying that man evolved from monkey is there's so many similarities between man and monkey, we must evolve from them. For instance, how many of you eat bananas? Ooh, monkeys eat bananas. Doesn't that prove that we came from monkeys? How many of you breathe air? Ooh, monkeys breathe air. Doesn't that prove that we came from monkeys? Monkeys have five fingers. Ooh, man has five fingers. Monkeys have two eyes and a nose. Ooh, man has two eyes and a nose. Therefore, we must evolve from them. 
Now, the only reason that they can come up with this is there's so many similarities, but there's no proof of evolution at all. That's like saying couches have four legs. Dogs have four legs. Therefore, dogs evolve from couches. The only proof that they have of anything even resembling evolution is Jason Crawford. But there is no real hard fact evidence for it. Now, the way that they say that the world came about and the planets is there was a cold cloud, it spun around the sun and got hot. It formed masses of matter into an outside ring, and it hardened. And then it went faster and faster, faster and faster, faster and faster, and broke apart and was flung in space in form of huge planets. Basically, there was a big bang, and out came Neptune, Jupiter, and all of the planets. Now, imagine taking an M80 firecracker and packing it with a mud ball and let that mud ball get really hard and leave the wick out. And after that mud ball is really hard and you leave the wick out and it hardens, light that mud ball up and light that firecracker up. And when you light that firecracker up and it explodes, it's going to shoot mud in all different directions. Now, when that thing explodes and shoots muds in all different directions, see if planets are formed. It will not happen. And they say there was this big bang, and out came the sun, out came Neptune, and we all know that that's absolutely illogical. Now, to believe that there is a creator makes sense to me. Your eye is the greatest camera known to man. You go into the dark room, and your eye gets very big, and as soon as you walk in the sun, it gets small again. Your brain is the greatest computer known to man. Your hand, you can move one finger, two fingers, five fingers, and how does this happen? There is an electric impulse that goes from the brain, and it goes through your hands, and that way you can move one, two, or three, or five fingers. And there's so much detail to the world and so much detail to or even our own bodies that there's just no way that all of this could have just happened. There's a master planner behind everything that we see. I've heard the illustrations. If you would take a plane and it were to fly over Morrow, Ohio, and it were to drop out a bunch of bricks and mortar and wire, see if it would come out in the form of Sugar Run Valley Baptist Church. It wouldn't happen. There is so much detail, even to this auditorium, that we know there had to be somebody who built it. And there's so much detail to the human body, to the human brain. And as we move around the sun, we're moving at 68,000 miles per hour, 19 miles per second. Now, you would think that something moving around the sun that fast would be completely out of control, but they say... If the earth were to tilt one degree closer to the sun, we would burn. If we were to tilt one degree further from the sun, we would freeze. And you would think at 68,000 miles per hour, 19 miles per second, we'd get out of degree at least one degree in all the time that the earth has supposedly been on earth for billions and billions of years. Now, there's too much detail to entertain this lie evolution. And if you will entertain that lie, and you will think, well, maybe this is just a myth, maybe we created God so that we can deal with our problems, 
You will not be faithful to God. You will walk away from God. You definitely will not have the faith that you need to get through life. And it's so important that you have established deep down what you believe about this thing. Now, I can't make you believe anything. You can't really make me believe anything. But we all have a good mind and we can understand that the Bible says that God created us and it makes a lot more sense to believe that there was a God who created us than that there was a big bang. Now, I've seen people with puppy dog eyes. Does that mean we came from puppy dogs? I've seen people with frog eyes. Does that mean we came from frogs? No, it just means there's similarities. Now, I've got three children that I brought into the world. I had a part of their being here. And I loved them because I had a part of their being in the world. And when God made you and he brought you into the world, he brought you into existence because he wanted a relationship with you. He didn't bring you into existence because it was just a mistake. And when we say that God is your best friend, he really is. All right, number one, because he made you. And number two, because he loves you. Now, some people feel like nobody loves them. I used to speak in public schools on the subject of suicide, and I found that 50% of young people, before they get out of high school, consider suicide. And the number one reason is nobody loves me. Now, years ago, my brother Paul decided that nobody loved him, so he was going to kill himself. I'm just glad that he didn't know how to do it. He put a belt around his neck, and he put the belt through the loop, and he started tugging on it. And my brother Dan said, Paul, stop it. But he kept doing it. And he said, Paul, stop it. And he did it again. And then he said, Paul, stop it. And his face was turning a little bit red. So then she ran downstairs and told my mom that Paul was trying to do this to himself. And my mom went running upstairs and she saw Paul doing it. And she said, Paul, stop it. And he kept doing it. So she said, Stop it, I love you, and made a fist and went, and made another fist, and another fist, and, and when it was done, Paul was going, and mom was going, and Paul goes, mom, I just wish you didn't love me so much. And mom had to almost beat him to death to show that she loved him. Now, there might be somebody here that you're not feeling loved, and I understand from a human perspective there are people that should love us more than they do, but they don't. And if you've had a parent not love you, or you've had a friend not love you, you've had a coworker not love you, I understand that happens. But one thing that makes absolutely no sense to me is somebody who acts as if God is some kind of enemy. Because if nobody else loves you, God does love you. Now, the Bible says, God so loved the world, not so hated the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, there are two ways that I'll mention about God's love for us today. Number one, he showed it at creation. All the beautiful things that are here on this earth, God says that he put them there for the benefit of man. And in Genesis 1... In verse 29, 
He says, I want you to have all of these things. And they're there for your food. They're there for your shelter. They're there for your clothing. And he says, I want you to have all of these things. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 29. Now, when you love somebody, you give them gifts. And every year at Christmas, I give gifts to people I love. At birthdays, I give gifts to people that I love. Special occasions, I'll give gifts to people that I love. And basically, everything that is here on earth, God made to show that he loves man. On the first day, God made light for man to see. If there was no light, we would be in trouble. The second day, God said he made water. And why did he do that? For man to drink. If we did not have water that God created for man, we would be in trouble. Then the third day, God made land for man to walk on. Vegetables, God made them. And where would we be if we did not have land or food? And then on the next day, it says that God made special lights, the sun, moon, and stars. Why? We need them. Plus, we enjoy them. You ever go out at night with your sweetheart and look at the stars or look at the moon? Not only do they help us, but they are something for us to enjoy. Why did God make fish? Because we know Grandpa would never be happy without fishing. And why did God make bugs? So you could scare your sister. Now, basically, everything God made is a way that we can say, hey, why would I not be interested in God? Why would I not be totally open and interested in God? One day, I was sitting outside, and I looked and I saw this full-bloom thistle. It's a purple flower, and it had a monarch butterfly come and land on it. And I looked at it a little bit. I'm a man. I'm not a little sissy, but I enjoyed it. And I can remember going inside and saying, Hey, Becky, do you want to see something pretty? And I said, come on. And so I took my wife outside, and I said, look. And she looked at it a little bit. She said, it's beautiful. Just last meeting, when I was over in Delaware, I went to a home to eat at their home for supper, and there were these flowers in the front yard. I know I'm a man, but I enjoyed them. And you know what was also awesome? There were no less than eight monarch butterflies that were sitting on those flowers. Now, when I look at these things, I can say, God's got to be good. And I think that God made all these things for our benefit, for us to enjoy. And I think, why would we even not recognize how wonderful God is just by the creation that's around us? Sometimes I like to go outside and I just look at a tree and I say, God, you made that. My favorite place to pray is to go out in the back behind my property in the woods And there's a certain place I like to get, and I lay on my back, and I look up, and I look through this ring of branches, and I see the sky. I think, God, you made that. And then I see a bird fly over, and all these things tell me God's good. Why would we not want him? Now, God shows us that he loves us by the creation, but the greatest way that he showed his love for us is by what he did for us on the cross. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friend. I was in Harpers Ferry, West Virginia. And in Harpers Ferry, West Virginia, 
I went up to an old, abandoned, not abandoned, but an old, historical Catholic church. And when I was in that Catholic church, just to see the sights, I went up and I saw all of the idols that they were praying to. Saint Mary, Saint Bernadette, Saint Thomas. And I thought, the God said in the Bible, thou shalt not make into thee any graven images and pray to them, and that's what they do. I don't understand it. But then... I heard somebody in the corner, the other side of the room, go, was it really all that bad? And so, just like you're in a library and everybody's supposed to be quiet and somebody says something too loud, they get everybody's attention and they all go, shh. It was sort of like that. So I turn and I look over here and I see that the lady is talking about a statue that she is looking at that's made out of wax. And the statue was the statue of Jesus on the cross. And the artist did such a wonderful job that it looked like you were actually staring at the literal body of Jesus on the cross. So I went over, and it was behind a plate glass, and as I looked at that statue, I was moved by it. And the lady said to her friend, why are his eyes like that? And she said, I don't know. Well, being a preacher, I leaned over and I said, that's because the Bible says that when Jesus was on the cross, that they hit him in the face when he was blindfolded and said, who hit you? He could have told him, but he didn't. But that's why the artist made his eyes cut and swollen. She sent over to her friend, well, why is his face like that? And I said, that's because they grabbed his beard and they plucked it out. And then she said, well, look at his legs. Why are they like that? And the artist had drawn the cat of nine tails as if it had torn off his back, but as if when they swung it that it missed his back and it hit his leg and it kicked around and it dug into his leg and there were tracks of flesh off of his leg and his kneecap was ripped off. And I said, that's because the Bible says that when they beat Jesus, they beat him with a whip called a cat of nine tails. It had nine leather strips, and had pieces of sharp rock boned metal, and it says they beat him at least 39 times, and the artist probably had him missing his back and hitting his leg, and it ripped off his kneecap. And she says, but look at his shoulders. I said, that's because, and people started gathering around. And I got to preach the best sermon I ever preached on Calvary in my life. As I said, his shoulders are like that because the artist knew that they pulled his bones out of their joints. And she said, look at his hands. And you could see the nails going right through the hand and right through the foot. And the crown of thorns, you could see the thorns going in underneath the skin and the blood coming down. And I got to preach a great message on the cross. And when I was done... I was able to just tell them all, that's because the Bible says Jesus did this to save men from their sins because he loves us and he wants us in heaven. Now, when I was done, I was so overwhelmed with what God did for me. I'm not exaggerating, and I hope I can express it, that I literally had to go outside and sit down on the concrete and just go, because <sighs> <sighs> I was so overwhelmed 
with what Jesus had done for me on the cross. And sometimes I lose that. And we don't want to lose that. And what I'm simply saying is, God is our best friend. And when somebody, as I mentioned, doesn't want anything to do with God or treats God as if he's not a friend, I don't understand that, especially if it's people like us. Now, God is our best friend. He made us. Number two, he loves us. And number three, he wants us to succeed. Now, how do we know that he wants us to succeed? Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. Thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, and then shalt thou make thy way prosperous. Then shalt thou have good success. So God gave us this book to tell us how to get to heaven, but he also gave us how to have good families, how to have a happy life, how to have a successful life. And so this book is because God wants us to succeed. Now, there's so much more that I could preach on related to point one. God is your best friend. But we're just kind of getting started in the meeting, and that's just a thought to begin it with. Now, that's point number one, but point number two and point number three are a little shorter, so stay with me. Point number one, God is our best friend. God is your best friend. Point number two, it's a question. How are you treating him? How are you treating him? Now, as men, it's important to ask, how are you treating him? Do you spend any time with him? I'm not scolding you. You're in church. How many men are in church in our country today? Small percentage. Would you agree? but you're here. So I'm not scolding you. I'm not scolding me, but I am saying this. How are you treating him? Do you care what he thinks? If you did, some of you honestly, not being mean, but being direct, you'd get rid of your beer and your refrigerator. If you cared what he thought, you would get rid of it. Now, how are you treating him? As a... Young adult, do you care what he thinks? Or do you just do your own thing? I don't think you just do your own thing, but I do know that it's possible that you can get to where, well, I don't really care anymore. Don't get there. Always need to care. How would it be if you got to the point where you said, I just don't care what my husband thinks anymore. I don't even care. Wouldn't be a good place. And we may not be perfect with God. We may not be perfect with our spouses, but we better always care. Because when we quit caring, then we begin to really decay. And so it's important that we care and that we care about God. How are you treating him? Now, do you care what he thinks? Do you spend time with him? Young people, do you read the Bible at all? Do you spend time with him? Men, do you read the Bible at all? How do you treat him? Now, I can remember um, watching a cartoon I, I actually, I'll tell you this, I was at a youth activity, and as a youth activity, I was telling everybody about the games we were doing, but before we did it, I was kind of finding everybody out where they were from. And so I said, how many of you are from Pocosin High? And all the guys from the public school go, Pocosin High, whoo, whoo, 
Whoo! How many of you go to Tab Middle School and I heard everybody, Tab High, and everybody goes, Tab High! Whoo! 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 How many of you go to Tab Middle School and you heard all the kids go, Tab Middle School! Whoo! 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 And I said, and how many of you go to Bethel Christian Academy? Because they were there too. And I saw a young man from Bethel Christian Academy sitting between two football players from the local public high school go like this. And he slid down in his seat. Now, you know why? He didn't want anybody to know that he went to Christian school. Hear me. That's pathetic. Now, how are we treating him? How would it be if somebody said, um, do you know Becky Pelletier? And I just go, um, uh, uh, it's my wife. Of course I know her. Do you know your parents? Of course I do. And I love them. Hey, do you know Jesus? Of course I do. And I'm not just trying to be silly, and I'm not just trying to be emotional. I'm not trying to just be kind of shallow. But I'm saying, we have gotten to the place where we don't want anybody to even know we're Christians. I'm saying we're not treating him like we think he's our best friend. Now, I was watching a television show, and I flipped through the channels, and this was years ago. There was a cartoon on called Be This and Be. It was on MTV. It's an, MTV is evidently not a big thing anymore, but as I was flipping through, and I didn't watch it much, but this cartoon came on, and these two characters said, Where's God? And since they said God's name, it caught my attention. So I watched it a little bit, and one of them said to the other, I don't know, where is he? Let's go find him. So they start looking for where they think God might be, quote-unquote, and they go to this town. I hear God was over here. Is God around here? And they said, no, he's not here anymore. He went over to this town, and they went over to that town. And you know what was that town? A hippie commune. And everybody was smoking weed, popping pills, and getting drunk. And everybody was long-haired hippie, and they went up and said, uh, hey, have you guys seen God? And one guy was long-haired hippie, popping pills with alcohol, said, oh, yeah, God's here. Yeah, he's in that building over there. So they said, okay. So they go walking into the building where God is supposedly be, be and they see God, and God in the cartoon was in there, but he didn't even know they were there. You know why? Because he was like 700 pounds overweight, long, greasy hair, very bad hygiene, pitted face, and he was oblivious to anybody being there because God was too busy with a bottle of booze in his hand and he was looking at a pornographic movie. That is blasphemy from hell. Now, I can remember when I was at Bible college, and we had a chaplain get up, and he said, does anybody have a testimony for what you'd like to share what God's done in your life recently over Christmas vacation? And one guy stood up and he said, I got a testimony. Okay, go ahead. And he said, I want to thank God for giving me opportunity over Christmas vacation to go to the crowded beach 
So I'm not saying going to the beach is a sin. But he said, I want to thank God for letting me go to the crowded beach. And he said, where I could lust after women in skimpy bikini bathing suits. That was his testimony. A Bible major. And then everybody in that room, about 75 men, started laughing, hee-hawing, like it was the funniest joke they'd ever heard in their life. And I look at my buddy, and I'm not laughing, and he's not laughing. I said, what is this? And then he went on to describe, because everybody was laughing, the parts of their bodies that God gave him opportunity to lust after. And I saw people rolling in the aisle, laughing as if this was the funniest thing they'd ever heard. And I stood to my feet and I said, by the way, guys, just for the record, I don't think it's funny. And they looked at me like I was some spiritual holy Joe. And one guy actually came to me afterwards and said, Pelletier, if you don't back off, you're going to get hurt. I said, bring it on. Now, follow me. They were not treating God with any kind of respect. But we don't maybe do that extreme, but do you treat God as if he's totally insignificant? If you did care what he thought, I'm just saying, I really believe that you would get the beer out of your refrigerator. You say, well, you're just trying to hit us with a bomb. I'm telling you this. If you get your beer out of your refrigerator, but you don't walk with God, that doesn't accomplish a thing anyway. So I'm not just trying to get the beer out of the refrigerator. Hey, if you start reading your Bible a little bit, that's good. But if you don't walk with God, and if I don't walk with God, and if I don't treat God right all the time, then we're still missing something. And what I'm simply saying is we've got to get in our heads that God is our best friend again. That we need Him. We don't need to just know about Him. We need Him. And we need to understand that He is our best friend. Now, God is your best friend Number two, how are you treating him? And then we'll conclude this morning with this little challenge, okay? Find God, don't fight God. If you don't mind, let's all say that together. I know it might be a little elementary, but let's do it. Ready? Find God, don't fight God. Again, find God, don't fight God. So would you say that you're treating God well? Would you say that right now you're respectful to God? Would you say right now that you're giving God your Sundays? Are you saying like Sunday night? Bible's good, but let's not overdo it. How are you treating God? Wednesday night. I'm not trying to just pour guilt on. I'm trying to put thoughts to get things going the right thinking maybe this week. Okay? Going to church, Sunday school, Sunday night, Wednesday night, church cleaning day, revival meetings and all these things, they don't make us spiritual, but yet, spiritual people do treat God right. So these are things to consider. Now, the challenge is first, find God. Here's what the Bible says, draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. Now, do you feel distant from God? I know it's a little bit late, just stay with me. I got about five minutes and we'll be done. Do you feel distant from God right now? You know what I learned a long time ago? We can have as much of a relationship with God as we want. We can have as much of a relationship with God as we want. The Bible says, draw nigh to God, 
and he'll what? Draw nigh to you. So again, draw nigh to God, and he will what? Every time. When I was in college, I got away from God. I got to doing some things I shouldn't do, nothing to disqualify me from the ministry, but I was getting very cold. And I remember wondering, is God even real anymore? I remember wondering, am I really called to preach? I don't even know I want to preach. And all these things were going through my mind. But then I realized, hey, I'm doing things I never thought I'd do, and it doesn't bother me. If I don't get some kind of a burden going in my heart again, I'm going to end up in jail. So I remember that verse, draw an eye to God, he'll draw an eye to you. And I went into my bedroom, and I got out my Bible, and I put an alarm clock on the bed, and I put that alarm clock on the bed for this reason. I wanted to spend 30 minutes seeking God. So I get down on my knees, and I begin to pray. I locked the door because I didn't want anyone to see me. I felt awkward praying because I hadn't done it in a while. Even though I was a Bible college student, I hadn't really been praying myself. I was just doing my classes, getting my A's, getting through it, but I wasn't walking with God. So anyway, I begin to pray, Lord, I don't even know if you're real anymore. I know you are, but make yourself known to me. And I pray. And after five minutes, felt like it was a half an hour. I look up and it was five minutes. So I go back down and I pray some more. I look up and spend ten minutes. And then I get up and I walk around the room and I said, I don't even know if you're there. I know you are, but show me. And I lean up against the wall and I say, God, my heart is so hard. Make me care again. And I made it through 30 minutes. Then, Tuesday, I did it again. 30 minutes. Wednesday, I did it again. 30 minutes. I felt like all my prayers were bouncing off the ceiling. But I kept doing it. Thursday, I started to enjoy the 30 minutes. And then Friday, a half an hour wasn't long enough. What did I do? So I'm not a guide for everybody. I decided to find God again. Now that's what we need to do. We need to find God And number two, we need to not fight God. Now, some people are treating God incorrectly, but others are actually fighting God. And they'll say, well, I don't care what the Bible says as illustration about alcohol. Look not on the wine when it is red, when it stirreth in the cup. And anybody who preaches against it is considered a legalist when God already said that it is wrong. And you know what that means? You're fighting God on this thing. No other way you can slice it. Now, if the Bible says sex is for marriage and you have it out of marriage and you know better, you're fighting God on that thing. And if the Bible says things that we should do and we don't do them because we don't want to, it's not we're total God-haters, it's we're not God-lovers. And we're not doing the things We're actually fighting the very things that God said that we should do. At a high school, at a college, they took a survey, and they found that 50% did not believe that there was a God. And then they asked them, how many of you, if there was a God, would want to find him? And 92% of them said, even if there is a God, we don't even want to know. You know what that means? They were actually fighting God. And it's more of a fight against him. And the thing is, that would be absolutely foolish because God is our best friend. Now, if we can establish this today, 
God is our best friend. Let's find him, not fight him. That would be good. Now, let's close with these two illustrations. One, I was in a meeting, and a girl came to me and said, I've got a friend I want you to pray for. She's not saved. She's 13 years old. She's my next-door neighbor, and her mom's already got her into, I'm not trying to be crude. I hope I'm not saying too much, prostitution. 13 years old. And so anyway, she said, I'm going to witness to her tonight. Pray for me. So she went to witness to her, and do you know what? She said, the girl reacted in anger. She said, get out of here. You Christians don't have any fun. And she again yelled, get out of here. And she kept saying, you don't have any fun. And she literally took rocks from her driveway and started pelting her in the back as she walked away. Whole time going, get out of here. Christians don't have any fun. And she said, do you know what that girl did that night after she said Christians don't have any fun? True story. Took a razor blade and slit her own wrists. I said, did she die? She said, no, she's in the hospital. I said, well, you go see her, and you tell her it doesn't look like she's having much fun. And people think if they give their life to God, they're not going to have any fun. The fact is, I look around, and people are so miserable, and God is their best friend. And he'll not ruin our lives, he'll enhance our lives. He's our best friend. Now, here's the other good story, and I close. As I preached at a camp, and a young man came to me, on Wednesday night, he said, could we talk? I said, sure. So we stayed up till like 4 o'clock in the morning, I think, and Andrew got saved. Andy was his name. The next day, whenever there was a time that was free, we spent time together, and I kind of encouraged him and discipled him, talked him a little bit about the Bible, and he seemed to really be excited. On Friday, we're all going down the river, and we were on inner tubes, and it might have even been... At your camp, I don't remember what camp it was, but it was West Virginia. And we're going down on inner tubes, and Andy and I are hanging out, and we're dunking all the girls, and we're dunking all the weenie guys. And then finally, Andy and I got dunked. Amazing. So we get out of the water, and Andy comes out, and he grabs his tube, and I grab my tube, and I'm looking at him, and he's laughing. He goes, Mike, this is great. I said, what's great, Andy? And Andy said, this is great. And he didn't have much skill with his language, I guess. So I said, Andy, I know what you're trying to say, but why don't you articulate it, think about it, and then articulate it really well. And here Andy had been saved for two days, and he said this, I am having the time of my life, and I'm not even drinking. Andy got it. And that's what we all want to get, is that God is our friend. Let's find him, not fight him. Let's bow our heads.